You're listening to Engagement International Podcast, which is about engagement, responsible investment, sustainability and ESG. This is episode number one, and it is a general introduction to responsible investment and engagement. We have Erik Alhøj in the studio, who is the CEO of Engagement International, and he will take us through the most basic concepts and give us an overview of some of the different approaches to responsible investment and engagement. Finally, we'll go into some examples of how this is done in practice. My name is Sophie Elhoy, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Pension funds, banks and other institutional investors have become very active when it comes to responsible investment and active ownership. Could you please explain what do we understand by responsible investment? It can be defined in different ways. Basically, it is about integrating environmental, social and corporate governance factors in the investment decisions. These are also called ESG risks and opportunities, and examples could be climate change, child labor, or other issues material for the investor or for the company to invest in. Responsible investments are mostly used for investment in listed equities, company bonds, and government bonds, but it can also include other assets as real estate, private equity, and infrastructure as well. And what is active ownership? Active ownership corresponds to the English concept engagement. It can also be defined in in different ways. For us in Engagement International, engagement covers the activities initiated by institutional investors to encourage companies they invest in to manage their most material ESG risks and opportunities in a responsible way. In more practical terms, Active ownership can be conducted either by voting at the General Assembly or by engagement dialogue between these. Active ownership is also one of the main approaches to responsible investments. But it is important to stress that there are other roads to responsible investments that does not include active ownership. And some institutional investors are active owners without being responsible in terms of ESG. So what are the main types of responsible investment? The first oldest and still most widespread approach to responsible investments is the exclusion of companies with controversial business activities. It can be tracked more than 250 years back in time where religious investors didn't want to invest in companies that could be associated to sin products as alcohol, tobacco, weapon, etc. And it is still very popular in the US, in Sweden, uh, Norway and Finland, but uh, to a minor degree in Denmark. In most countries, it is quite common to exclude companies that can be associated with controversial weapons like cluster bombs, landmines and nuclear weapons. And after the Paris Climate Agreement, many institutional investors don't want to invest in coal companies, while others are boycotting all companies that are producing fossil fuels like oil and gas. In Denmark, Sweden, Norway and Finland, the most 
popular approach to responsible investments is the so-called norm-based screening. Here the investor identifies companies that are violating international conventions and norms regarding ESG. Often a special focus is on violation covered by UN Global Compact's 10 principles of human rights, labor rights, environment and anti-corruption. There is a new tendency to expand the range of controversial companies to include incidents with a significant negative social or environmental impact according to OECD's guidelines for multinationals or UN guiding principles. Previously, the most investors would exclude these irresponsible companies from their portfolios, but now there is a strong tendency to engage with these companies instead in order to get them on the right track by active ownership. And that is actually the third main category of responsible investment. Active ownership is recommended as the second of the six principles for responsible investment in the UNPRI initiative, which are one of the main drivers of responsible investment. Active ownership can also be combined with integration, which is the fourth category, covering different ways of implementing the E, S and G considerations into existing conventional investment strategies and models. Would that also cover the positive focus many investors have on companies that are good at integrating ESG factors in their business, like Danish Novo Nordisk and Novo Symes? Yes, definitely. For example, in France, it is very common to analyze uh, which companies that are the best in class in different industries when it comes to ESG management and invest in these through special funds and uh, indices. This kind of positive selection and rating of ESG quality can also be used for thematical funds and indices where the companies are weighted or tilted according to their ESG ratings. You haven't mentioned the so-called impact investment, which seems to show up everywhere right now. Sure, impact investments is the category with the highest present growth. It is a relatively new concept, still defined in different ways. It is about investments focusing on projects and activities that has a significant positive impact on one or more of the 17 new social development goals covering climate, water, education, hunger, etc. So that was the general description of responsible investment. In more practical terms, what would be the typical setup for, let's say, a Danish pension fund or municipality that wants to become an active owner and a responsible investor? First step would be to formulate a formal policy and guidelines that corresponds to the investor's own values and uh, investment beliefs, plus the most important and relevant international and local norms and guidelines. In Denmark, most investors would avoid investing in controversial weapons like cluster bombs, landmines and nuclear weapons. Some would also exclude companies associated with controversial activities like alcohol, tobacco and coal. Uh, 
They would also identify companies in the portfolio that are violating international conventions and norms covered by the UN Global Compact, the UN Guiding Principles, and OECD guidelines for multinationals. But instead of excluding them, they would normally try to encourage them to solve the problems and behave more responsible through engagement dialogue and proxy voting. The investor might also engage with and influence companies with a high risk exposure and a poor management when it comes to climate or other material ESG issues and opportunities. It would also be a part of the responsibility set up together with other initiatives like impact investment, green bonds and so on. Included in the Internal part of the guidelines might also be processes for reporting and dialogue with asset managers, stakeholders like clients, uh, media and NGOs. So how does the investor find out whether some of their actual investments are in conflict with the guidelines? The next step would often be an agreement with an external service providers as Engagement International to conduct a screening, typically two times a year. And here they would identify possible companies or investments that are conflicting with the responsible investment policy. The third step is to exclude some of the companies and engage with others according to the policy and either through the asset managers or through own service providers. And the fourth step is to report on the initiatives and results, typically in the annual reports at the website or other media like client magazines, etc. And finally, the fifth uh, step would be to conduct a current and proactive dialogue with the asset managers and the most important stakeholders, including media. All five steps can be taken by the investor alone, but it might be a great help to collaborate with service providers like Engagement International. But when it comes to the core activity, the actual engagement with controversial companies, How does that take place in concrete terms with, let's say, an oil or a gas company involved in serious corruption, for example? Of course, I can't speak for other engagement companies, but I can tell you how we are engaging on behalf of our investor clients this year with about 100 of the largest listed companies in the world. The engagement process begins with the identification of companies in the investor-client portfolio that should be excluded and which to engage with. We do that twice a year using data about individual companies from MSCI ESG research that we have collaborated closely with since 2014. They are the world's largest organization in this field, with more than 170 analysts located all over the world to follow and analyze the largest 8,500 publicly traded companies. We also meet the companies that we are engaging with twice a year, either face-to-face, where they are located around the world, via conference calls or, in a few cases, via email correspondence. 
Prior to the process, we gather all the relevant information about the company and the incidents. We access which ESG factors that constitutes the most material risks and business opportunities and how good the companies are to manage these. Then we decide what should be the objectives and the success criteria for the engagement process. So how do you get in touch with the companies? We invite the companies to engagement meetings with an agenda for exactly which ESG challenges we would like to discuss. At the meetings, we discuss the company's initiatives and considerations for improvements and our recommendation for best practice. After the meeting, we conduct a comprehensive engagement report that is reviewed by the company before it is made available for our investor clients from our website. In the report, investors can get an overview about engagement results, the company risk exposure management level, and um, the progress in overall term and in the main area. So how do you make sure that the companies actually improve? To measure our engagement results and make it visible for our clients, we have developed a milestone system and an engagement progression rating. If that is positive, uh, due to better management of the company's ESG challenges, it can be considered as a positive investment signal for our investor clients. If the engagement progression is negative because nothing happens or the company refused to speak with us, then we will escalate the engagement. It could be by a formal contact to the CEO and chairman of the board, by voting against the company management at the general uh, assembly or by collaborating with other investors. And if there is still no engagement progression, we will recommend our investor clients to exclude the companies from their investment portfolio. But I would like to stress that our success criteria is not to exclude as many companies as possible, but to create positive improvements in as many as possible. But why not just exclude controversial companies as recommended by many NGOs? First of all, because we find it much more responsible to encourage the controversial companies to change their behavior rather than just sell the shares to another less responsible investor that doesn't want to change anything. And secondly, because there is a financial upside for our clients if we succeed to encourage a controversial company to behave more responsible. But is it possible for minor companies like Engagement International to get in touch with the largest companies in the world? And do they listen to your recommendations? Yes, certainly. We are in dialogue with more than 80% of the companies we want to engage with. And we are not in doubt about the positive results we are contributing to. Not because we can refer to a dominant share of votes, but because the companies consider us as a professional and legitimate representative of some of their owners. Is it possible to say anything about the total amount of responsible investments today? 
Unfortunately, it is difficult to calculate an accurate figure due to the many unclear definitions and the daily market fluctuations. But according to Global Sustainable Investor Alliance, the volume of responsible investment has increased by almost 30% every year in the recent years. A good indication for the significant growth in responsible investments is also the previous 10 years in the number of signatures to the UNPRI. It has grown from less than 100 10 years ago to now more than 1,700. And in Denmark, a new survey from the Organization of Responsible Investors, Densif, shows that 48 out of the 50 largest institutional investors in, in the country have some kind of set up in this field. And they actually represent 98% of their capital invested in the relevant asset classes. What are the main reasons for this significant growth? Or, in other words, the main benefits of being responsible and active as an investor. I think the first thing is that most investors prefer to be a part of the solutions to the many challenges in the world rather than a part of the problems. And uh, correlated to that, many investors would first and foremost like to be proactive to prevent critique and negative reputation from media and other stakeholders. Most investors would also want to follow the UN, OECD, European Union, the local government and other authorities saying in common that it is expected by organizations that are managing other people's money to act as responsible and active owners and investors. A responsible investment setup can also provide the investors with a very important overview of ESG risks and opportunity in the portfolio. And finally, but not least important, it has become more and more evident that responsible investments, especially combined with active ownership, tends to create long-term financial value to the investors. But isn't it still quite unclear if... It actually pays off financially. Yes, you're right in saying that the many surveys regarding this $100 question point in different directions. But I would still argue that there is now sound empirical documentation that responsible investments practiced in the right way creates financial value. Maybe we should elaborate more on that in another podcast episode where we focus especially on the most important studies regarding the financial return. But for now, I would like to say thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and found it useful. If so, you're very welcome to subscribe, like or share this with people that you think it could have any relevance to. And for further information on these matters, you can go to engage-int.com, where you can keep yourself updated by reading the blog or go to the news library. On the webpage, you can also revise all the main conclusions from this episode, leave comments, questions or ideas for new episodes. Thank you for being with us today. I'm looking forward to serve you in the next episode of Engagement International Podcast. Bye.